Uh, how can I know God personally? How can I know God personally? How can anyone know God personally? Uh, that's our question this morning. And this is the seventh question in this seven-week series that we've been doing titled Explore God, during which time uh, here and in small groups, um, for many of you, for many of us, uh, we have been discussing, talking about, learning about uh, seven big and important questions, which are, does life have a purpose? Is there a God? Why does God allow pain and suffering? Is Christianity too narrow? Is Jesus God? Is the Bible reliable? And now finally, can I know God personally? And this is the ultimate question among the seven. In some ways, it is the question that matters most. Every question has been important and relevant. The first six questions are asked by many people outside the church, many people inside the church. But this question to me seems wholly different. Uh, it is, and that is because I, at least I very personally, am interested in uh, this question, interested in the response, interested in the answer, interested in where this question goes. It pertains to me specifically, and it may pertain to you specifically. It pertains to me personally and it may pertain to you personally, uh, because we've spent all this time talking about these six questions that are really mostly outside of us as people. They are outside of me as a person. But they all lead to this one, and they leave hanging questions about whether or not I can know God, I or anyone, can actually know this God that we're talking about personally. And this is a matter around, around which there is not a lot of clarity and not a lot of consensus. As far as I can tell, there are many people outside the church and, any, and even many people inside the church who do not really seem to know God personally. And I don't mean any judgment about that with that in that statement, though it may sound that way. I, I really don't mean any judgment. I think many or most people would probably say themselves that they don't know God personally, that that would be their response. They may identify as a Christian. They may belong to a church. Their family for generations may have been Christian, but they wouldn't say that they know God personally. As a very general illustration in the Spanish language, in Spanish there are two words. This goes back to high school Spanish for me, which was a long time ago. Two words for the word know or to know in English, the verb to know. The first is saber, which means to know something, to know about something, to know information. But in Spanish, they have another word for to know that we don't have in English or we don't distinguish because we lump them together. And the second word in Spanish is conocer, which means more closely to know someone, to know someone personally, to be in relationship, to be familiar with someone. Saber is to know something. Conocer is to know someone. Many people know things about God, information, saber. 
We have talked about and learned a lot about God over the last six weeks, but I'm not sure that many people actually know God personally. And again, no judgment in that. In fact, I'm just not sure it's even really been encouraged, that it's been modeled, that it's been valued, that knowing God has been sought. I've said to you before in looking back on three years of seminary education and training that I can't remember any part of that curriculum for those three years being focused on knowing God. We learned about God. We learned theology. We learned about the Bible. We learned biblical languages. We learned lots of church history. We learned a little about counseling and even less about leadership or how to run a church. But I don't remember anything in the curriculum about how to know God, which is kind of crazy. And maybe knowing God was just assumed or maybe that was something that the seminary faculty and administration just figured that students would figure out on their own or that they were attending to on their own or working out on their own, taking care of that on their own in their private lives. And probably some did and were, and probably others not so much. But at some point, many of us as human beings don't just want to know about God or responses to the first six questions. We want to know God himself personally, and nothing else will do. Nothing else will satisfy one's soul and the longing therein. In the memorable words of St. Augustine, Augustine of Hippo, one of the most prominent of the early church fathers in the early centuries, in his remarkable little autobiographical book titled Confessions, he wrote, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. I quoted the following from C.S. Lewis before in the series, but uh, these words of C.S. Lewis again seem to ring true. Lewis wrote, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. There's more out there. There is within us as human beings a humble or a, a, a deep down inside impulse even if it's faint, even if it's not much attended to, not only to know if there's a God and about that God, but also, if possible, how to know that God personally. And so how can I, how can anyone know God personally? I've heard someone respond to this question by saying that God sent his son himself through his son Jesus into the world so that through him the world might be saved. He died on a cross. He paid the debt for our penalty, an act of grace on our part for a penalty or a debt that there's no way that we could pay on our own. And through that act and our acceptance of such, I can be saved and I think and I believe that all of that is true. And yet, in one sense, none of that brings me into a personal relationship or a knowing God. Other well-meaning Christians have said something similar, that if one simply confesses one's sins and says or prays the sinner's prayer and accepts Jesus or invites Jesus into one's heart as if Jesus was some sort of stint, 
that one can then know that one is saved. But again, does a person through such an act or affirmation come to truly know God personally? Maybe so, maybe this so in your experience, but maybe not for many more. And this coming to know God personally really is our goal. In contrast, listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in, ancient, in the ancient city of Philippi. He wrote, Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, in other words, whatever were advantages or assets or strengths or whatever worked in my favor, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, rubbish, scubala, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Bam. Paul says that whatever good things he had going for him, and he had a lot of good things going for him, especially in his life before Christ, and according to the world's or his religion's standards and way. But all of that, he said, was nothing, is nothing, compared to, quote, the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus the Lord. Not knowing about, not information, but knowing Christ Jesus the Lord. Paul knew God in Christ Jesus personally, and for him, that was everything. And Paul goes on to write in verse 10, I want, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, this spiritual union or friendship or both. Paul knew Christ and he wanted to know Christ. Paul encountered the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus in this supernatural encounter and experience. Rare, powerful, transformative in his life. And in that sense, from then on, he had known Christ Jesus Lord, and yet he still says, and I want to know him more, deeper. One of my best friends as a young person through college was a guy named Dale. He eventually ends up being the best man in my wedding a gazillion years ago. Uh, Dale and I spent uh, a bunch of time together just in life and then in Mexico, just the two of us, uh, one summer uh, hanging out with the Roman Catholic uh, church and learning and serving. Uh, we just really knew each other. And yet since that time, uh, we haven't gotten to spend a lot of time together. So I can say, I know Dale and I want to know Dale. Paul said, I know Jesus Christ and I want to know Jesus Christ. And how does this happen? How can that happen? How can a person know God personally. For me, Dallas Willard is helpful here, and he writes these words. Those who really do know Christ in the modern world do so by seeking and entering the kingdom of God. There's Jesus' kind of favorite phrase. Everything else is meant to lead up to that, 
To know him in your world is to live interactively with him right where you are in your daily lives. This is the spiritual life in Christ. Willard continues, the way of Jesus Christ is a way of firsthand interaction, knowing by acquaintance, direct awareness of him and his kingdom. You can't really sustain a kingdom life without such interaction with the king. However, what has happened and what often happens in the human experience is that Christian knowledge or Christian knowing is reduced, and the church is responsible and guilty of this, is reduced to information rather than interaction, what Willard calls interaction. Information like what is contained in the Apostles' Creed, which many of us grew up reading and reciting, which we say together once a month, But if we are to know God in Christ personally, we must do so in our everyday lives and through living daily in the kingdom of God with him. But how are we to enter this interactive relationship, what Willard calls an interactive relationship of knowing Christ, that is life with him in the kingdom of God? How do we do that? Dallas Willard offers two preliminary ways that must be observed, he says, if we are to enter the interactive life with Jesus Christ and through him with God. The first is, and there are going to be a handful of these. The first is humility, which involves continually, voluntarily, intentionally, willfully humbling oneself and becoming in some ways like a little child, Jesus says. Humility involves relinquishing the right to control one's own life and handing over that control to another and for those who are in Christ to God. Our human temptation is always to take back control and to negotiate deals with God about who's in control of our lives. We will do our lives our way, and when we need God's help, we will ask him. However, with such an arrangement, a person can never come to know either their reality, the reality of the kingdom, or the reality of the king. And so humility is the first and essential to knowing God personally. Floyd McClung, who uh, for 49, 50 years was a kind of a globe-trotting global servant, wrote a little book, 35 Years with Youth with a Mission. Uh, incredible uh, man. He wrote, uh, he wrote short books, which is why uh, I can read them. Uh, this one is called Intimacy with God. That's the title of it, Intimacy with God. It's about knowing God personally. And it's all about, despite the title and the lack of a subtitle on the cover, it's all about humility, all of it. And so McClung affirms humility is key, number one. Number two, Willard says, is inward rightness, which he describes as, and a little bit different than kind of the self-righteousness or inward righteousness, he describes as, the decision and the settled intention carried into practice to become good on the inside. And this is according to the teachings of Jesus. In the middle dimensions of the self that make up human character, not just action or outward behavior, which is so easy to manipulate. This is what Jesus called going beyond the goodness or the good characteristics of the scholars and the Pharisees. To know Christ in the kingdom of God, we must abandon ourselves to a total transformation of who we are on the inside 
taking on the character of Christ through living with him day by day, hour by hour. An inward transformation. Inward, inward. Forget about the outward for now. Inward rightness. Humility is number one. Inward rightness, number two. Number three is the practice of Christ's constant presence, which we believe to be true, but often don't practice. To become good on the inside, to practice humility, and then to practice Christ's continual presence. Again, toward this goal, Willard writes, we have to learn to do the things that eliminate distractions and keep our whole being focused upon constant companionship with Christ. I'll say that again. We have to learn to do the things that eliminate distractions which is just how I live, and maybe you too. To eliminate those distractions and keep our whole being focused upon the constant companionship of Christ, all of which brings to mind the contents of another little book that's more than 300 years old. Not so much written by, but it's a collection of the writings and the letters and the teachings and the thoughts and the maxims of a monk from the 1600s named his monastic name, Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection. Maybe you've read this book or heard of it at least. The Practice of the Presence of God. Again, a little book. If I can read it, you can read it. Add it to your shelf. Brother Lawrence believed that the goal of every soul is union with God or knowing God personally, knowing God intimately. To this end, he resolved to regularly and continually bring his mind again and again into the reality of God with him, sort of continually bringing God back to the center of his attention and focus. Again and again, constantly, whether he was washing dishes, whether he was working in the garden, whether he was working in the shoe shop, whether he was washing clothes, preparing meals, to reset his mind, his eyes, his hearts on the Lord, seeking to be immersed in God's love, to live obediently and to remove, as Willard says, from his mind every possible distraction that infringes on his attention. Brother Lawrence wrote, by the presence of God and by this interior gaze, the soul comes to know God in such a way that it, the soul, passes almost all its life in making continual acts of love, adoration, contrition, trust, actions of grace, offering, petition, and all of the most excellent virtues. And sometimes it even becomes one endless act because the soul is always engaged in staying in the divine presence. Can you imagine that in our world today? It's far from me, but awfully attractive. How can a person know God personally? By practicing the presence of God continually. And this may sound to some of you, and especially those of you who may be a skeptical person by nature like me, like just tricking oneself like maybe tricking one's mind or training one's mind to arrive at some perceived state. Or like a little child with a pretend friend that some of us have known. Maybe you had a pretend friend when you were young. 
but instead it really is paying conscious and continual attention to the one who is really there, just like one would do if one wanted to know another person who is really there. And to know that person personally, you would, I would, pay attention and as best we could give our full attention to that person as much as possible. If truly knowing that person and knowing them well was one's aim. And now back to Dallas Willard one more time. He writes, there is actually nothing intrinsically mysterious about the with God life. There is nothing intrinsically mysterious about the with God life. It looks mysterious only to those who do not really want it or who, for whatever reasons, will not take the simple steps toward it. And they are fairly simple steps, fairly simple steps. Brother Lawrence, Dallas Willard commend other practices as well. Some have called them spiritual disciplines that help one when practiced to know God personally. One of those is silence, which means eliminating noise, including the noise of one's own mouth. Solitude, which means intentionally and voluntarily being alone and doing nothing for lengthy periods of time as a necessary break from the grip of a God-alienated world over us and to make room for God in one's life as one would for anyone that, wanted, that one wanted to grow close to personally. And to silence and solitude, many of us would add the reading of God's word. And if you want to know someone, you read what they've written, you ingest, you pay attention to their words. And prayer, though most of us aren't very good at listening prayer, we aren't very practiced at such, but instead we're better at speaking prayer, telling God how things are and what we want and need. Listening prayer, prayer overall, yes, but practicing listening to God in prayer. And then there is worship. Brother Lawrence wrote, Always see God and his glory in everything we do, say, and undertake. Always see God and his glory in everything we do, say, and undertake. That the end we should seek is to be the most perfect adorers of God in this life, as we hope to be through all eternity. One of the contributors of the not knowing of God through Christendom, including in modern times, is the fact that many Christians or churchgoers simply go to church and never worship God. We spend time in sanctuaries, but without a commitment, as Brother Lawrence said, but without a commitment to see God and his glory in everything and to express such to God publicly. Instead, we can be oblivious to that to which and to whom we are called and settle for enjoying music or even making music without worshiping God, though God may be known. I remember my youth pastor saying, again, a million years ago, that being in a sanctuary makes someone a worshiper of God about as much as being in a garage makes a person an automobile. That's just not how it works. 
And yet it wasn't until I'd been a follower of Jesus and in Christ for a number of years that I first consciously, willfully, intentionally, and experientially did more than sing songs, but actually from within worshiped God. And that was not an, an act or an achievement of my own, but simply happened spontaneously by the grace of God. But it's also something we have a role in, every one of us. Related, because it's something we most often do when we're together, we're in this space on Sunday mornings, is the celebration of the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist which also historically and theologically as well as practically has been a means of grace and a way that God's people have communed with God or known God personally in the mystery, in the mystery of that sacrament. And the word sacrament just, just means mystery, actually. There have been plenty of times in my life when communion has been for me just bread and cup, just rip and dip, just an outward, physical, religious rite that we do just going through the motions. But there have also been times in my life and for me when celebrating communion, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, the body of Christ with the body of Christ has been uh, profound experiences of God's grace and of the Father love of God and of healing, which isn't and can't be orchestrated, but sometimes God does in and through and as we eat and drink his body, his blood, in his name, according to his instructions. There have been plenty of times then that has been my experience. And finally, there's one more maybe unexpected thing I will mention before wrapping up. About it, Brother Lawrence has written that all the mortifications and other exercises are useful only insofar as they bring us to union with God through love. That after having given much thought to the matter, he, Brother Lawrence, had concluded that the shortest path to God was by a continual exercise of love. Interesting, 300, 350 years ago, the shortest path to God is through the continual exercise of love of love, which just coincidentally, he wrote, coincides with the words of John the disciple when he wrote, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. There's that word again. Whoever does not know God Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So, do you want to just not just know about God but also know God personally? Well, you can. And it's not that hard, though Brother Lawrence says it actually can be quite difficult or challenging in the early days and stages of practicing the presence of God in the way that he did. But the God who set the stars in their places, the God who came to us, humanity, and took our place on the cross, the God who knit you together in your mother's womb, 
wants to be known by you. Wants to be known by you. In the words of Jesus in chapter 17, part of his farewell discourse, he said, now this is eternal life. This is eternal life. That they know you, Jesus speaking uh, to and about his Father, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life, knowing God. It is about eternity, but for Jesus, it's also primarily about now. And when we take care of the now, the eternity in the grace of God takes care of itself. This is eternal life, that they, his disciples, Jesus' disciples, know you, Jesus' Father. This is eternal life, knowing God, knowing Christ, knowing the King. God has come to us, and now he invites us to come to him. Which is why Jesus says, seek first, above all things, first priority, top shelf, above all things, the kingdom of God, because when you seek the kingdom of God, you also seek and find the king. Above all else, Jesus says, seek this. Let's pray. thank you, God, that you have come to us, that you've initiated. Sometimes we think we have initiated, that we have found you, but any finding of you is only because you have first reached out to and found us and claimed us as your own. In your grace, through your Son, sealed by your Spirit. We confess to you as part of our road to hoped for humility in some way, shape, or form about which and in which we'll take pride and have to recycle it all. We hold before you, we confess before you, we lay before you our sin and our sinfulness, our many sins, they are many. The brokenness of our hearts, the corruption that lies within, the deceit that dwells. Asking that you would take it all, that you would remove it from us, that you would forgive it, that you would cleanse us, that you would purify us over and over from all unrighteousness as you have done once and for all in Christ, the Lamb of God who took away and takes away the sin of the world. Have mercy on us, every one of us, outwardly and inwardly. Have mercy on us. Restore to us joy, the joy of your salvation. This morning, today, tomorrow, and the next day. And help us, we ask, to be in continual union with you, revealing yourself to us and helping us to know you, the God who is not only with us, but who loves us and saves us. In and through Jesus, amen.